0: Did Jesus stop being tempted after he uh, was in the wilderness those 40 days when Satan tempted him? In other words, when he said, be gone, Satan, and Satan left him, was that it? Was that the end of his temptations on earth? Keep that question in your mind as we talk today. And let's see if we can come up with an answer to that. I'd like you to begin reading with me in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And we're going to be talking about the whole subject of temptation. And particularly the temptations that Christ faced. And then temptations that we face as well. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Let's just talk about where that is. I, did, I didn't really have a clear picture of where Caesarea Philippi was, but it's north of the Sea of Galilee and a little bit east. So it's uh, you tend to think of Caesarea as over on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, but this is a different one, Caesarea Philippi, up northeast of the Sea of Galilee. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Let's stop for just a minute. Um, When Peter said that, what do you think he had in mind? For us, because of our position in history, we know what Jesus went through in just a short amount of time from what we're reading here. Uh, in Peter's case, he didn't know that. He had the Old Testament. We have the Old Testament. We know some prophecies about Jesus that are still to come. He knows, knew those prophecies as well from the Old Testament. But um, what do you think Peter was thinking when he said, you are the Messiah? to give just a little framework to the the passage that we're uh, in right now. Uh, Jesus, up to this point, has been uh, traveling to a lot of towns and cities, uh, both in the north and the south of Israel. He's been performing miracles. Uh, The sick are being healed. The demons are being cast out. Uh, He's teaching some fantastic truth. All of this fits well with Peter's idea of the Messiah. I dare say, and though we don't know for sure, but I dare say that Peter was also thinking the only thing we lack now is for Jesus to get an army and uh, we'll drive the Romans out of Israel and set up this kingdom and gradually take more and more of the territory around us until Jesus is ruling the entire earth. He was thinking not only good teaching and the sick being healed and the, and the demon possessed being delivered, but he was thinking of a military conquest and a physical reign on earth. He was not probably factoring in uh, something else. And so uh, let's go on in our reading. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And um, wisely so, because in just a minute, we're going to see what Jesus begins to reveal to them about being the Messiah. If they had just gone out and said, hey, we found the Messiah, what would be in every person's mind? They would be thinking uh, military ruler, king, on the earth kingdom kind of thing. They would not be thinking about what Jesus would have to go through in his call for suffering on the part of his followers. And so let's uh, continue our reading now in Mark eight thirty-one. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You, you, you know the, the story on that. Um, you know, somebody maybe is thinking the worst about something that's coming up and And you come alongside and you say, oh, no, it's not going to be that bad. Uh, Just buck up, you know, think positive about this. It's certainly not. That's certainly not going to happen. And we kind of encourage each other out of anything negative about the future. And uh, Peter is doing a similar thing here. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. My goodness. My goodness. This is, okay, granted, Peter often stuck his foot in his mouth. He, um, said some things that weren't cool and did some things that weren't cool. But, I mean, just just a short time before this, he had gotten out of a boat and walked on water. What a tremendous act of faith. I mean, he wasn't there long, but (laughs) he did it. Nobody else was doing it. Why be so hard on this guy? He's just trying to encourage you, Lord, from... Um, thinking negative about the future. and um, But Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is a um, difficult passage to interpret, but... Let's dive in and let's take a stab at some of the things that are being said. It could be that when Jesus used that phrase, get behind me, Satan, that he was thinking that Peter was was using Satan's line of reasoning. The line of reasoning was, you won't have to go to the cross. There's a way around this. And, and Peter, by uh, rebuking the Lord, was really telling him, you're not going to have to suffer. Probably saying things like, the Messiah doesn't suffer. You know, he rules and reigns. And, and so uh, Peter, in a sense, was, was using, the, using the reasoning of Satan. Um, Satan used a similar reasoning with with the Lord back when he tempted him in the wilderness. And uh, if we can go back to uh, Matthew chapter 4, I'd like for us to look at that for just a minute. Uh, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so um, the temptation in this in this uh, initial temptation, Satan was was tempting Jesus to use his divine power to avoid uh, suffering or privation. He was on a 40-day fast, and so he was telling him, use your divine power so you can forego the pain of this fast. It's not near to the degree of the temptation that came later when Peter was suggesting that Jesus would not have to suffer death and uh, rebuking and uh, torture at the hands of the Jews and the Romans. But it was a, a beginning. It was planting the seed that uh, you can use your divine power to get out of the suffering. And had Jesus bought into it in the wilderness, it would have set up a mindset that would have, um, well, It would have just changed everything. But he didn't. He he resisted that temptation. And when Peter came to him with with these words of, Lord, you won't have to suffer, um, he recognized who was behind it. You might remember that when Jesus was with people who were demon-possessed, and he was about to cast out demons, he would... He would use. Uh, he would often uh, speak directly to the demon rather than to the person himself. Um, for instance, in the case of the boy who we just talked about, um, the boy who was demon possessed uh, last week, we talked about him. Him and he and his father had uh, come to Jesus and. And the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And so when Jesus cast the demon out, he spoke to the demon. He didn't speak to the boy. And it could be that in this situation with Peter, that when he says, get thee behind me, Satan, that he really was speaking to Satan at that point and not to Peter. Recognize Speaking directly to the source of the temptation, Peter was um, used by Satan, but he wasn't the source of the of the temptation. It had come from Satan. Um, so that's that's one thought there. Um, would Jesus ever be tempted in a similar way again, to um, try to avoid the suffering that God was calling him to go through? I'd like you to uh, consider what happened in the garden. And we're going to look at a passage in Matthew 26 in just a minute. When Jesus was in the garden, he he went through, I believe, possibly his greatest temptations. Um, When he was praying and the, the sweat was rolling off of him, and he was, he was realizing what he was about to go through. Um, he, was, he was envisioning it. And uh, he, said, he prayed to his father and he said, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass for me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And, you know, he, he almost uh, dealt with the temptation as it came. But I believe that Satan was there tempting him. In the garden. And I believe when the crowd came to arrest him, that there was a temptation in him to pull a power play and to wipe them out, which he could have done. And one of his followers, you know, grabbed his sword and cut off the high priest's ear. And, and uh, Jesus said, put up your sword. And he uses this Reasoning, he says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? And I think that was one of the temptations Jesus was facing in the garden, of using the force that he had at his disposal to wipe out this possibility of him going to the cross. I think about at his trial. In the various stages of his trial, before the high priest, before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate. Um, In each case, you'll remember that Jesus remained silent on things that he could have easily defended himself against. There were false witnesses that weren't agreeing with each other. Can you imagine if Jesus had weighed in and had become a, a lawyer or a debater? how he would have just wiped out the opposition if he wanted to. But he kept silent on things that he could easily have, which easily could have acquitted him. And then on things that would condemn him easily, he spoke up and confessed to. When they said, are you the son of God? Knowing that that would set off the Jews royally, he said, I am. And uh, he he almost embraced the things that would um, seal his doom, and he stayed away from those things that wouldn't. He was tempted, I believe, at at that point, to uh, use his debating skills and get out of um, the crucifixion, but he resisted that temptation, and he did it so well. The last time, in the last place, where I believe he was tempted was on the cross itself, and I'd like for us to read from Mark 15. <clears throat> Here are some passage, passages that uh, give us the, uh, what Jesus was dealing with on the cross. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saves others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, this king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Can you imagine the temptation that he had to just again, to annihilate these people. Uh, He he could have come down from the cross. He had angels at his disposal and uh, could have changed everything, even while on the cross. But he resisted that temptation. And so he went through with what God had called him to do, and that was to suffer. He realized that he was called to suffer and to die, and he didn't let anything keep him from it. He resisted those temptations. I'd like for us to go back to the passage in Mark 8 and uh, following where Jesus uh, tells um, Peter to get behind him and refers to him as Satan. Then he teaches the crowd. And uh, this uh, is something that we need to take note of today. Then he called the crowd to him If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I'd like you to go back to that first verse. I believe it is verse 34. Yes, let's stop there. So Jesus is making it clear that not only was he called to suffer, But those who follow him will also be called to suffer. This is a a difficult pill for us to swallow. Uh, There are many things that we can suffer from. But probably few of us have ever suffered for our faith. And he's saying that whoever wants to be his disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. In other words, have the same attitude that he had. His attitude was that God had called him to die for others, and nothing was going to deter him from doing that. He's suggesting that God has called his disciples to give their lives for others and for for the kingdom of God, and nothing should deter us. From following in that path, Peter eventually got this. We know that because, as he writes his gospel later or as he writes his epistles later on, we see some of the words that uh, he shares about suffering and I'd like for us to look at 1 peter two twenty and twenty one Peter says. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So um, Peter is saying the example of Christ is that he suffered for us. And we need to suffer for others and for him. Now, that's not something that we can cause to happen. But it's something that we can prepare for. We can have the mindset of someone who is willing to suffer. And uh, I think that's what Peter is saying to all of us uh, Obviously, he wrote these words before he paid the ultimate price, which he did. Um, Tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down and uh, paid the ultimate price for his faith. I'd like for us to look also at at Paul, who shows an example to us of um, what it is to uh, embrace suffering. You might recall that on Paul's last missionary journey, that um, he felt this compulsion to get back to Jerusalem by the Feast of Pentecost. And um, so he began to make plans to do that. He started cutting his missionary plans short and and, uh, taking boats to different places and meeting with people and saying kind of last goodbyes. And in some cases, I remember with the Ephesian elders and Acts chapter 20, he said, uh, told them that they would not see his face again. And um, there was sadness. And uh, he talked about being on his way to to Jerusalem. And um, as he went from place to place, there were prophecies about him. And prophets would say, uh, God has revealed to us, brother, that um, as you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be suffering, uh, that there's going to be opposition and suffering for you. And so the conclusion was that um, on the part of these believers, they tried to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem. That um, obviously the thing you want to do is to avoid suffering, right? Not to embrace it. And um, but Paul would not be deterred. No, he said, um, I need to go to Jerusalem. And finally, in Acts chapter 21, uh, 13, uh, we're going to just see what his attitude was. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? These people had, uh, were weeping at the idea of Paul leaving them and going to Jerusalem, knowing that he would be persecuted. He said, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, Paul had taken on this attitude of Christ that uh, he would suffer for Jesus, and if that was God's will, that was the thing he wanted to do the most. Um, it's a difficult, um, it's a difficult attitude to develop. I remember when I first started thinking about the passage <clears throat> that we read earlier today in. Uh, Mark chapter 8, where Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I, I remember trying to pray, pray that one morning. <clears throat> I was on a prayer walk, and I can almost point to the spot where I was. And, um, and it was difficult. And I said, Lord, I, I really can't pray that. I, I don't want to deny myself today. I don't want to take up my cross and follow. I want to follow you, but I don't want to, I don't want to take up my cross. And uh, so <clears throat> that's been a difficult thing for me. And I just want to encourage you at whatever stage you're at to um, ask God for help. Ask him to help you in denying yourself in little things. For his sake. Not um, a masochistic kind of dying or denying and, and, and suffering. You know, oh, I'll, I'll stab myself or something so I'll feel pain. No, not that. But being willing to suffer when you know that's the right thing. Being willing to forego pleasure when you know that's the wrong thing. Making those choices every day to do what's right, even though it's not good for you. although it will be ultimately good for you. I'd like you to read a passage with me from 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul, um, in his very last letter, the last letter he wrote, he's in prison now and knowing that his death is imminent. He says, talking about followers of Christ, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's just saying it's, it will happen. If you're going to look like Jesus, you're going to be persecuted like Jesus was. I don't say this uh, lightly. I say it because Jesus taught it and Jesus lived it. <clears throat> One of the things, the takeaways uh, takeaways from today is that this study today, I think, should help us in our worship to know that Jesus, whenever he was tempted to skip the cross and the suffering, he resisted that temptation because that was the Father's will for him. It's not always God's will for us to avoid suffering. Sometimes God has willed that we suffer. And so Jesus, knowing that, always resisted the temptation to try to skip the cross or to skip suffering. He did it for you and me. It should help us in our worship. Whenever we worship Jesus, Our hearts should be filled with overflowing gratitude and praise for him. The second thing, the second takeaway from today is that Jesus made it clear that um, embracing suffering was not just something for him, but it's something for all of his followers. For those of us that want to follow Jesus, we need to embrace suffering not creating uh, suffering unnaturally, not being masochistic, but being willing, if that's the result of obedience, if that's the result of giving ourselves for others and for him. And so um, rather than talk anymore, I'd like to pray with you. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, This has not been an easy, teaching to hear, but I think it's one that the Lord is in and uh, uh, I pray that he will touch your life today as we pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that uh, you have allowed us to participate in your sufferings. You've allowed us to share in your glory. We know that that will happen one day but how neat that you've allowed us to also share in your sufferings. For those of us that find that terrifying and and, uh, uh, something abhorrent that we want to avoid at all costs, I pray that you will help us. Help us to learn to deny ourselves in simple things each day, to value others above ourselves, to listen rather than to do all the talking, um, to do things that maybe cost us because we know that they will greatly bless you or bless someone that you are trying to bless. Just simple things, Lord. Teach us the simple ways of denying and, and following you and taking up our cross. And then when the, the big opportunities come and we find ourselves possibly facing greater um, opportunities of suffering, that we will embrace those when they are within your will. We will not run from them. We won't try to skip the cross, so to speak, like you did not. And uh, may we follow your example in everything. Thank you, God, for not just telling us how to live, but for showing us how to live. We pray these things in Jesus' name.